Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Good morning, church. Uh, it is good to see you guys. Um, we are continuing in our top 10 series. Uh, we've been in for this for, for a while today. We are on uh, another one of our Ten Commandments, number nine. And uh, just to give you a background, if you haven't been with us, what we've been doing is looking at God's top ten, God's Ten Commandments. Um, and understand that when we say commandments or when we say rules, people go, oh, rules and commandments, those are there to oppress us. They're not. If we follow rules and commandments the right way, they actually lead us down the right path. They are things that lead us to freedom and to hope and to joy. And the way we've talked about that in this series is that rules do not create the relationship. Um, when, Jesus, when God gave the Ten Commandments, the people of Israel already had a relationship with God, but instead rules enable the relationship. They give it the ability to thrive. And today we're in number nine, which is do not lie. Anybody struggle with that? Okay. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there is a national poll that is done every year that is assessing the trust that the American people have in <clears throat> their government. <laughs> that part was not a joke. In 1964, um, uh, our, our, the trust level for the, the United States was 75% of people had a relatively high level of trust in their government. Today, um, and, and has been fairly low for the last many, many years now, but today it's around 20% uh, that trust in that. It doesn't stop there. Uh, you might go, yeah, the government, but there's also evidence that shows that only 22% of people have a high level of trust in anyone else. That means if you're sitting next to 10 people, there's eight of them that you're keeping an eye on, okay? Like right now, and if you're in a row with family, go like, stop telling stories, Jason. Go get us in trouble. We are like we we we're skeptical of people. Only seven percent. This won't shock anybody, probably. Only seven percent of people today claim to have a high level of trust in media. And fifty-three percent of people claim to have trust in religious leaders, but only thirteen percent of those claim to have a high level of trust in religious leaders. Corruption in the church and fallen leaders has led to a place where people don't trust even what's coming out of places like this. So what do you do? We live in a world where clickbait pays better than honesty. We live in a world where there's a value for views more than there is a value for truth. There's a, we live in a world where AI can do things that blows our mind. So for example, artificial intelligence now, this is a very popular scam going around currently, where AI will go and find uh, videos of uh, teenagers and children, and it will take their voices and make their voices say a different message. So for example, a parent or a grandmother will answer the phone, and it is the voice of their child or grandchild saying, I have been abducted, please send money. And it's a completely AI-generated message. It doesn't stop there. We live in a state of what's called deep fake videos, where you can take somebody else's face and put it on yours. For example, uh, we're going to show a video behind me of a very common uh, deep fake video. And this is happening in Hollywood for entertainment purposes, where you can keep, for example, at one time, there might be a reality where you keep a very popular actor alive essentially forever, not in real life, but in film that you can take these videos and make somebody else's face appear 
on another person. You see this technology used all the time. These are from a series of very popular um, videos that went on social media where a gentleman decided to hire a company to make him look like Tom Cruise. And in the process, did what this was initially called deep fake video uh, coverage. And so it scans tons of images and creates this false sense of reality. So I want you to think about this for a minute, church. Imagine, just imagine the power. Imagine the impact of being a group of trusted people in a synthetic world. Imagine the power of being a group of people that are trusted in a world that feels like it is completely full of lies. That's what today is all about. Because in that place where nobody is trusting anything, that is where the church of Jesus Christ has to shine. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Top 10, if you've got your notes, we've got a lot of notes today. Uh, you can do that in your app. You can do it on the paper. But we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Now, this is a very often misquoted uh, commandment because we oversimplify it. We oversimplify it. I've already said it. We oversimplify this down to what? Don't, don't lie. And that's it. But it's too simple because it's actually saying much more. I need to do a little bit of breakdown of the text because I don't want you to miss anything. And the first thing is to look at word order. When this is translated into English, we do not have a correct English translation of the word order from the original text. So for example, uh, and, and in Hebrew writing, a lot of times the first thing was the thing that got the emphasis. So in our text, it says, do not give false testimony against the neighbor. The first thing is false testimony. So you think the most important thing here is the lie or the false testimony. But in the Hebrew, the word order is different. It would actually, the, the best English translation I can give you is this, do not give against your neighbor false testimony. So the emphasis there, the first thing said is neighbor, not false testimony. That is not to minimize the lie. What he's saying is the most important thing about this commandment is the damage the lie does to someone else. That's what he's trying to get at. And it's important that we understand that. It also will use a word that says do not bear false, false witness. In other words, what he's saying is this has weight to it. Anybody ever got caught in a lie and it added any weight to your life? Yup. We've all been there, and that's what he's talking about. Lying weighs people down. And so he's saying, do not weigh down your neighbor with lies. When that asks another, then we gotta ask another question. Well, who's my neighbor? Jesus had to address this question because we want to go, well, my neighbor is the person that lives right and left of me, or my neighbor are the people that live close to me. But if you're in contact with a person, guess who that is? Neighbor. Any person you come in contact with. In the Good Samaritan, in the parable of Good Samaritan, Jesus will go so far as to say, even an enemy that you do not like is your neighbor. And so we're not supposed to lie or bear false witness to any of them. Now, false witness or false testimony is the other phrase I want us to look at in the text because in the first century it was an oral culture. They didn't write, they didn't read. So when they spoke, their words had to hold weight. So when they spoke, it was a binding oral agreement. So like, for example, when they got married and they said, I will be with you forever, they was locked in. Like that was the intent. That's why God said, don't enter into it lightly, because if you go into it, you're supposed to stay bound. That's the whole point. And so it's hard for us to understand what it's like to be in an oral culture where if you said, I will do this, that you actually followed through. Because we live in a world where if you want to buy a cell phone, you've got to read 35 pages of a contract. And do you know why? 
because the company thinks you're going to try to rip them off and you're fairly confident the company is trying to rip you off nobody trusts anybody now you might say well like this sounds really almost like legal and it actually does false witness or false testimony literally translated means to repeat and this was used in, in their form of court all the time in other words you were supposed to repeat exactly what you heard not your interpretation of but exactly what you heard or exactly what you saw and the way this would play, play out was there was a crime or a dispute in the first century and the disputing parties would go into the wilderness with an elder who would play the role of the judge and upon the testimony of just the witnesses who would repeat the truth of what they heard or what they saw there would be a verdict rendered in this court case and so some people would go well I'm gonna go say bad things because I don't like that person and God steps in here and goes no 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 do not bear false witness against anyone it could lead to their destruction it could lead to their imprisonment it could lead to so many things in their punishment do not weigh down those people with lies. doesn't matter what they've done to you don't weigh them down with lies doesn't matter if they have different views than you don't lay them down with lies doesn't matter if they voted different than you do not weigh them down with lies so what does it look like and why do we weigh others down with lies real quick anybody lie this week don't raise your hand <laughs> some of y'all are about to get yourself in trouble by confession okay we all do matter of fact um, uh, studies show that you are more likely to lie in a post or a text shock anybody nobody okay so how many lies do you say post or text every week well according to most research every person says four to six lies a day some of y'all are like I'm doing better than I thought I was <laughs> now here's the part that scares me is you, you you might be guilty of four to six lies a day but every one of us receives hears or is on the, the the receiving end of 10 to 200 lies a day can I tell you what some of the most common lies are this list cracked me up most common lies said on a daily basis that was a great meal No, don't lie. Y'all know, some of y'all have sat in a house with somebody, that was wonderful, and you got in the car and you're like, can we go to Taco Bell? Even Taco Bell would be a good, like, okay, so number one, that was a great meal. The number two most common lie that is shared, I have a headache. <laughs> I'm not giving context, I'm just saying, that's what it said. Number three most common lie, I did not get your text or email. Some of y'all are like, man, I did that this morning. Like, like it was, this happened already. Like these are very common lies that we tell. And here's the thing I want to challenge us with. We have a daily opportunity to be people that speak truth and we don't. Why? I'll give you a couple reasons. One, we lie to help others. At least that's the lie we tell ourselves. This is where you get the little white lies, where you go, oh, I'm busy, or hey, let's connect. Or I'm five minutes away. Can I tell you what that means? That means I'm five minutes away from being 10 minutes away. That's what that means <laughs> every single time. Not every lie is as consequential, but every single lie damages relationships, everyone. We do these and we think we're sparing feelings. When somebody says, hey, do, does this look good on me? Or, or, or maybe you go, oh, babe, you built that deck all by yourself? That is impressive. I mean, amazing. 
What a beautiful job that you did. Hey, kids, uh, do not get on the deck. Um, <laughs> like, we're trying to spare people's feelings. In the pro- How many of you would love this if, if, if the phone that you had, if they could download a lie detector app? When somebody says something, you're like, hey, before you answer, can you place your thumb right here on the app, please? Some of you are like, do not speak that evil into our life, Jason Collins. I, I, I get it, but we tell these little lies and we think that we're making people feel better, but the Bible calls these kinds of lies flattery, and what the Bible has to say about flattery is not flattering at all. It says, Proverbs 23, verse 5, a person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. In other words, he, you're going to trip people up when you do this. You're going to cause them to stumble. You're going to cause them to fall. It's going to cause damage. And you go, well, whose feet are they talking about, mine or my neighbor's? And I would go, probably both. When Crystal and I first got married, I, 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 there was a reality, uh, I mean, amazing. I married one of the most amazing, beautiful, uh, incredible women uh, who could not cook at all. That was a reality. She can now, but when we first got married, Crystal could not cook. Like, so here was the most common meal that we ate. She got uh, spaghetti from a package and uh, red sauce from a jar and put those in a pot, and we ate that uh, something like 365 nights out of our first year of marriage or something like that. It was a, it was an, a, it was a lot. It was, an, it was a lot of times. And then finally, at the end of a year, I went, hey, babe, can I tell you something? I don't really like spaghetti. And you go, well, that's not that big of a deal. You're trying to be nice. You're trying to spare her feelings. But the reality is she's now looking back over the year of her life going, you've lied to me about this. What else have you lied to me about? See, no matter how much I wanted it to be helpful, it comes back to haunt you because ultimately anything built on a false foundation will eventually fall from the weight that it creates. We lie to help others. We also do this. We lie to help ourselves. A lot of us are used to this. This is when you just straight up lie to get out of trouble. This is the lie, like when my kids were little and they would get Halloween candy, some of y'all probably had this experience, and you let them eat whatever amount of Halloween candy you think is appropriate on that night, and you're like, all right guys, we're putting up all the Halloween candy, like, go put this in the kitchen, go put this in your room, wherever you're going to store it, and brush your teeth, no more Halloween candy tonight. And then you walk into their bedroom the next morning, and it looks like a candy wrapper CSI crime scene. Like there's just stuff everywhere, and there's brown stuff smeared places that you hope is chocolate, and, and you've got all that stuff going on, and you you ask your kids, did you get into the candy? No. Because they're dumb. <laughs> it's a bad lie. It's not even a good lie. You're like, you just know? You're, not gonna, you're just going to leave it at no? Like, just no? And you're like, hey, how did the packages get open? Dog. This is the pride of the dog. Like, sucker, that dude does not have opposable thumbs. Like, those packages are, oh, it's an intricate process. He used his tongue. You're, just stop. Like, they're just lying to get out of trouble. How many of you have lied to somebody and then you live in constant fear that you're going to get caught? It happens all the time. I had a buddy of mine, he would always say, Jason, whenever somebody's asking you something, don't lie. If you don't lie, you ain't got to remember what you said. You ain't going to remember what story you told to keep your stuff straight later. Lying always makes it worse. We lie to get out of trouble. We also lie in half-truths. Anybody ever know anybody that lies, but it's, it's technically true? <laughs> Thanks, Tammy. Uh, <laughs> Tammy's going to need some help in the back corner if we get somebody to go see her in a minute. Now, you guys, I read this story this week. It was a Bible college student. This Bible college student nicknamed his bed in his Bible college dorm room, the Word. Why? 
so that everybody that came up to him and said, where have you been all morning? Oh, I've spent the entire morning in the Word. Some, listen, if you're a teenager in here, you're sitting here right now going, that's the first time I've taken notes in a year and a half. That is genius. Man, what a brilliant guy. What about exaggeration? We do this to make ourselves look better. You know where among the most common places we exaggerate? Resumes and applications. Studies show that 50% of every job application resume contains a lie. I looked up some very famous ones. Um, one of them was uh, interviewing for a computer programming company. The interviewee took credit for a certain computer code, a program. What they did not realize is that the person that wrote the program was the one conducting the interview. Another person declared they were an agent in the CIA, but the dates they put down would have put them in fourth grade at the time. If you're going to lie, do math. It helps. Another one said they had studied under Friedrich Nietzsche, who died 117 years before that interview. All of this just to look better. Pastors may be some of the worst. You get to pastors, and people always ask pastors the same question. How many people at your church? How many are coming? And they'll go like, uh, 5,000. And you're like, are you counting toes, fingers? What are you, like, what is happening? Like, you're going, I've been to the church. Like, it's just, they, for some reason, they got to make it feel better. And like, so that's why I would tell all 16,000 of you guys, make sure you back me up, okay? <laughs> Let people know the truth, all right? So we want admiration. Why? Ultimately, because we're not content at what God is doing in my life. So I have to make it sound better than what I think it is. We lie to exaggerate. We also avoid ownership. Whether it's work, school, home, something was supposed to get done that didn't get done. Again, when we were uh, first married, Crystal and I um, would need to mail bills. And Crystal at the time, she doesn't anymore, but she would be the one to pay all the bills. Now, back in those days, uh, if you were under 40, let me explain to you how this worked. We had to write a paper check that promised somebody money was coming. And then we had to put that in an envelope that you had to lick and seal and then you had to put a sticker on the front that you also had to, there was a lot of licking involved in mailing bills. And so you lick the stamp, you put that on there, and you put that in the mail, and you send it on the way. And Crystal would get everything ready, and she would send it to me. He goes, Jason, on your way to work, put this in the mailbox at the post office. And I go, baby, there's nothing that would make me happier than to fulfill this need of yours. And then I would drive to work, and something else would get in my mind, I would forget. And I'd come home and I'd still be forgetting. And I would always put them in the, above the visor of my truck and I'd leave them up there and I'd get home and Crystal would go, oh, first thing, because she never forgets, okay? She walk, I walk in the door and she goes, Jason, you mail those bills? I don't need to burden her. I mean, she can't handle the truth, right? Like, I, so I look at her, I'm going, I'll do it tomorrow. Why do I need to, I don't want to cause stress for her now, so what did I do? I lie. Of course I mailed them. Oh my goodness, I love you so much. It was the first thing that I thought of when I got in my truck. And then you know what I would do the next day? Forget again. And again, and again, and again. Until one day my wife would need to borrow my truck. And because she's shorter and the sun hits her in a different place, she would lower the visor and an avalanche of unpaid bills would fall in her lap. And you do not want to see anger like that coming at you. Because you have lied. The truth is, I was not protecting her, I was protecting me. It wasn't her that couldn't handle the truth, it was me. And in the process, I damaged relationships. We lie to avoid confrontation or awkward situations. Ultimately, we become cowardly. We won't tell somebody the truth. Simple examples of this are like breaking up. We were like, it's not you, it's me. 
nothing wrong with you. Or the worst one, and I hate this in Christian culture, let me blame Jesus for why we're breaking up. I can't stand on my own two feet, so I'm going to be a coward. I'm going to use him as my reason. We don't want to do that. We don't want to be too cowardly to speak the truth. Our, <coughs> excuse me. Our silence can imply agreement. And when somebody is making bad choices, that we know we're going to lead them to a bad direction or to their destruction, and we say nothing, we should be held accountable for that. Proverbs 12, 19 says, Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only for a moment. See, eventually it falls. Eventually everything collapses. But God's going, that's not a weight that you have to carry. That's not a weight somebody else has to carry. Because he wants us to understand that often what happens is we go from telling lies to becoming the lies we tell. And he wants to protect us from that. Lying is always a symptom of a deeper issue. We lie to help others. We lie to help ourselves. But also third, we lie to hurt other people. If there were two questions that I could suggest every one of us say every single time we talk, Two questions to think in your head before every word came out of your mouth. Is it true? Is it kind? Would anybody's world be any different if everybody you knew before they spoke asked themselves, is it true and is it kind? I mean, I want you to see what the combination of these things do because we could be living in a whole lot better life than we are. See, if it is untrue but kind, it's flattery. That's the stuff we talked about earlier. That's when you're setting a net for somebody. You are causing them to be tripped up. We add weight to their life. We don't want to be guilty of flattery. What about this? What if it's true and unkind? Well, then it's gossip. Some people are going to go, well, Jason, I thought gossip was based on something being false. It certainly can be, but actually the Bible describes gossip differently. It says in Proverbs 20, 19, a gossip betrays a confidence. So the root of gossip isn't untruth. The root of gossip is that there was a truth you weren't supposed to share. It's not your story to tell. Or there's a gap in information, a gap in understanding. Can I tell you, we need to be leery of certain things that people say. Most of the time, anything that comes after the phrase, hey, did you hear? It's probably not going to build anybody up. It's more than likely going to be something that tears somebody down. Gossip takes their fault their mistake and it makes it bigger than it is gossip takes their mistake and it makes it the identity of the person that it's the only thing you see when you look at them you ever met that teenager who made that mistake that one time and now that's the only lens through which anybody sees them or maybe a coworker of yours made you mad and they were having a worse day of their life but now the only way that you can see them is well they're just always angry all the time and by the way can I just ask you this how many of us would like it if that were applied to us? How many of you want to be known by your worst moment? To have it be your identity. Man, we would hate it. We need to be careful. And, God, and I'm just going to address these two. If we're in the South, uh, anything that follows bless your heart is probably gossip. <laughs> and also, I love him to death, but be careful. See, here's the key. I'm going to tell you something we've never really talked about in terms of gossip, but I think it's something that was important that hit me this week. I think one of the biggest ways you can tell if something's gossip is that you enjoy it. Oh, you don't want to admit you enjoy it, but you got you a juicy piece of information. 
And you don't go to anybody who needs to hear it. You don't go to the source. You don't go to somebody who can help. You just want to go share it. And you're really kind of excited that you're the one that's got the hot buzz right now where you can share it with everybody else. And you enjoy it. Let me tell you what enjoying gossip means. It's a lack of love. Because if you love them, you wouldn't enjoy it. Somebody needs to talk to me about my kids and something going on in their life. I'm not going to enjoy the conversation, even if it's needed. And I'm certainly not going to go spread it around. And the difference is love. So we have to understand that gossip simply reveals a lack of love. And can I tell you, and I don't want to beat this issue uh, to death too much, but I'm going to tell you, um, this is one of the reasons, if you ever go to our membership class, one of the things that we talk about protecting in our church, in the body of Christ, we call it the family of crossroads, is that we make a declaration not to gossip. And I'm going to tell you, that's a standard we should be held to, not just for our local church, but for the body of Christ as a whole. I mean, if, we, if somebody talked about my wife, I would not be okay with it if somebody was gossiping about Crystal. So how do we think God feels when people are talking about his wife? The church is his bride. And we need to protect it. We need to defend it. We need to be careful of it because it causes destruction and it leads people away from the Lord and away from the gospel. Now, let's move on. What if it's untrue and unkind? A double whammy. Well, then it's slander. This simply comes from a heart that wants to hurt. It's a deliberate intention to hurt somebody. Proverbs 10, 18 says, the one who conceals hatred has lying lips. So whoever slanders, or excuse me, whoever spreads slander is a fool. This is when you go, I want them to hurt. Why? Because I'm hurt. I've been wounded, so I want them to be wounded. And I do not care what I have to do. I will embrace the lie. It does not matter to me. I will send it out in the world even if I know it's true. And we do this all the time with people. When we have a difference of opinion, we have a difference of view, we have a different political party, whatever the ideology is, can I tell you this though? No matter what all those differences are, and no matter who you claim to be, if you are a believer, you are first and foremost a child of Jesus Christ. And it should be your primary identity. So we need to be careful what comes out of our mouth and our thumbs. You with me, church? We gotta be careful. And then what about the last one? What if it's true and kind? Well, the Bible would simply describe that as love. It is ultimately, that is the ultimate goal of the ninth commandment. Because here's the thing I want us to get. Lies weigh us down, but the truth sets us free. While lies add weight, truth lightens the load. John chapter 8, verse 32, Jesus famously says, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now here, Jesus is talking about a specific truth. He's talking about the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the fact that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And he's talking about the fact that the God of all creation stepped into human flesh and he lived a perfect life and he died a perfect death on the cross for you and for me, taking upon him the weight of everything in my life so that he could take it and it could be destroyed the way it was meant to be destroyed. And then he rose up three days later and when he had the ability to walk out of his grave, it gave you and I the ability to walk out of ours. That's the truth that he's talking about. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wants us to know it because truth lightens the load. That truth lightens our load, doesn't it? How many of you feel lighter with sin forgiven? Yes. Truth lightens the loads of sin. It takes away the sting of death. It eliminates the darkness. Truth lightens the load. And that also is a principle for all truth. Truth matters to God. And I know some people, because I had somebody say it to me, were like, but Jason, there's a lot of people out there claiming to tell truth and they are jerks. Well, how do you tell the truth without being a jerk? Let's talk about that. James chapter 1, starting in verse 19, says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to what, church? 
slow to and slow to for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness so he tells us if you're gonna speak the truth but you're gonna do it without being a jerk first one be slow to speak anybody ever accidentally said something in anger you regret let's show of hands real quick oh everyone okay I want you to think about this you don't have to raise your hands how many of you have ever accidentally said something incredibly thoughtful and loving We think about that stuff. We dwell on it. When we have a desire to speak in love, we put some thought to it. When we speak too fast, it is often in anger and wrong. We need to slow up and be careful. Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says, I will tell you on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. How many of you are looking forward to a really awkward conversation with God? Anybody ever been guilty of word vomit? Stuff that just comes out of you too fast? I don't know about you, but I want to be real cautious with those things because I, I want to come face to face with my God and I want to know that the words that came out of my mouth were words that were loving and truthful. You know, the Bible says a whole lot more about holding our tongue than it does speaking our mind. Be slow to speak. Also, check your facts. Is it true? Is it exaggeration? Is, is it out of context? If you're going, well, Jason, I'm not sure uh, if it's true, then see rule number one. Be slow to speak. Check your motives. Why do you want to say it? Do you have a desire to say something because somebody needs to hear the truth? Or do you desire to say it because you want somebody to know the truth of how bad that person is and how much you dislike them? Which one is it? We always have to check our motives. See, culture will say things like, the eyes are the window to the soul. Jesus will say, your words are. Your words reveal your heart. Are they bad? Are they kind? Are they unkind? If you're not sure if your motivation is right, see rule number one. Be slow to speak. Check your source of truth. Jesus declares in John 8, the truth will set you free. But that is not the truth as I see it. That is not the truth as Jason sees it. That is the truth as God declares it. That is the truth. When he says the truth, he means this truth. Can I get an amen, church? This is the truth that he's referring to. He's saying, I want you to utilize that truth. That's the truth that does something amazing. That's the truth that frees from sin and frees from shame. That's the truth that will shape someone's identity. He goes on in John chapter 8, verse 44, to give a warning. He says, you are of your father the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he tells a lie, he speaks his own, nati- his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. He's saying Satan is a liar. His goal is to distract us from the truth of God, to hold, have us hold on to false hopes that will lead us to destruction, to get us to embrace the things that will enslave us. He knows that if he can get our hearts, he can affect our mind, and if he can get our mind, he will affect our behaviors. And that's his goal. It'll lead us to destruction. It'll lead us off mission. Lies kill, but truth is life-giving. And that leads to the last point I want to make sure that we hear is that when we speak truth, speak it in a way that it can be heard and the weight comes off forever. Speak it in a way that can be heard. In other words, sometimes you're misunderstood. Real quick, anybody ever misunderstood in a text message? 
There we go. A lot of testimonies. There we go. I, I found a text message that was a very confusing text message uh, on one person's end. I just thought it was hilarious. It goes like this. I'm here for you. Thanks. I'm going through a tough time, so it means a lot. I'm sorry. I lost all my contacts. Who is this? It is your Uber driver. I'm here to pick you up. There's some confusion going on in that text message. How many of you have ever texted somebody you love, maybe your spouse, kids, and you got a one word back, and from a written one word, K, okay, fine, good, you immediately went, well, something's wrong. I'm in trouble. I know it. I know. You read the tone of one word, and sometimes it's one. Like if Crystal texts me, okay, I'm like, we're all good. If I get K, Nate, are you all right back here? <laughs> Whenever you're done with Tammy back there, can you guys go see Nate in the back? <laughs> Apparently some confession is just inadvertently coming out of people. Yeah, it gets scary, right? Like, we have to be careful, tone, expression. How we communicate matters. So that's why Jesus raises the bar on this. He wants us to lead us to words filled with truth, which means that words filled with grace. And words filled with grace make a difference. Words filled with grace are life-changing. Words filled with grace are healing. But I'm going to tell you, grace always involves hard truth. Every time. The gospel is hard truth. You know what the gospel starts with? I am a sinner. That's the starting place for the fertile soil of the gospel. Is to recognize all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is not one good, not even one that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Not one. The gospel confronts us with that reality right off the bat. Do you know why it's so important that the gospel confronts us with the reality that we are all sinners? Because if we do not recognize ourselves as sinners, we will never see a need for a savior. And so he gives us hard truth right off the bat. Hard truth is the foundation for lightening someone's load. It's an open door to the gospel and to truth. You see why this is huge? See, truth either comes pouring out of our life or it doesn't. Which means that truth or lies out of our life, we are either, in one case, if we are not revealing truth from our life, we are either living in lostness or at the very least we are living limited in what God wants to do with us. We're either lost or limited if we do not let truth come out of our life and God does not want that he has you on mission for a reason and that's why we get this in Matthew chapter 5 I'll read one more verse set of verses for you Jesus is speaking he says again you have heard it was said to our ancestors he's referring to the Old Testament you must not break your oath he's referring to the ninth commandment he says but you must keep your oath to the Lord but I tell you do not take an oath at all either by heaven because it is God's throne or by the earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black and you might be going what in the world's going on here well the Pharisees and the scribes who were supposed to the rabbis who were supposed to be representing the truth of God in the world well they were reading a set of laws and the law said if you swear to God or swear by God then you are bound to whatever you swore but if I make an oath to the earth, or I swear by Jerusalem, or I swear by my own head, I am legally not bound to keep my word. So they found a loophole that they were using, and Jesus steps in and says, stop it. He goes on to say this, and by the way, can I just say this? I loved how J.D. said this a few weeks ago. 
that if you're trying to speak truth and you need to use a qualifier, you have either disqualified yourself to tell the truth or you're already setting up to tell a lie. You don't need a qualifier if you are a person known for integrity and truth. He says in verse 37, he says instead, but let your yes mean what, church? And let your no mean? Anything more than this is from the evil one. Can I tell you how big this is? Here's what lies create. We live in a world where wars have been started from lies. Abuse is the result of lies. Somebody said that you could trust them, they said you could love them, and it was a lie. Injustice is because of lies. Depression is because either you lied to yourself about your past and that it had to always be your identity or somebody else has lied to you about who you are. Divorce, it might have a lot of activity in it, but lies will always be a foundation of it. Every broken home, every destroyed friendship, every wrecked witness for the gospel is founded on lies. But when you speak truth, trust starts to rise. And all those things I just mentioned go into decline. See, there's too many people in our world, they don't trust the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's not because the message is bad, it's because they no longer trust the messengers. We need to hear that, church. That should challenge us. We're supposed to be people of truth. Every single day, every day of my life, every day of your life, you are watched by angels. Every day of your life, you are broadcast to God. Every day of your life, you are streamed your life. Every moment of it is streamed to a cloud of witnesses. Every moment, the world is watching. And some of you are going, I, I don't want you to have said that, Jason. That seems heavy. It is. And the reason it's so important for us to hear that is because we can't be people who lie at work and lie at school and lie at home and expect one single person to listen to us when we call it truth, when we tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we lie in one space, we, for many people, delegitimize the gospel because they can't trust the messenger. Every word we say either plants a seed of credibility or it plants a seed of doubt. It's like us having a label of Christianity, but you go, what you're presenting to the world, Christian, the, what's inside doesn't match the label. We get frustrated when that happens to us at the grocery store. For example, I got some images, looks like this. If you ever got this SpongeBob snack and it looked like that, that's the most terrifying ice cream I've ever seen in my life. What about this? How's that nonstick fry pan going? Doesn't seem like it's working out too good. And then there's this one. Some of y'all gonna have to study this image a little bit. And then there's this one right here. How many of you have been sucked into that on a fast food menu? We get frustrated in advertising when the image isn't as advertised when the reality is not what we saw on the label. How do you think the world feels when we declare ourselves Christians, but what comes out of us is not as advertised? That's how serious we have to take this. I'm going to show you this quote on the screen. It's from a pastor, Russell Moore. He says this, we now see young evangelicals, young adults walking away from evangelicalism. They're walking away from the church, not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. We have to be people of truth. There's a golfer. His name's Tommy Cool. He qualified for the U.S. Open not long ago. 
In the U.S. Open qualifier, he shot a 62. It was a course record. He played the round of his life. But the next morning when he woke up, he was convicted. He was convicted because they had aerated the greens, poked holes in the greens to help the grass and everything grow the way it's supposed to. And as he was golfing on his round, he would, he would fix the divots from the aeration. No one noticed. Had no effect on the game that he played. But according to the book of rules, it's illegal. So the next day, when he woke up, he went to the judges and he said, I can't live with myself if I don't tell the truth. While I was golfing yesterday, I ended in first place. I realized that. I was fixing the divots from the aeration. Didn't, didn't even realize I was doing it. And they disqualified him. And you go, well, that's, that's, a, that's a dumb rule. I agree, but that's not the point of the story. See, I want you to think about this. Here's the thing. I bet the next time he says something, people believe him. Because he's walked in integrity. I bet the next time he speaks, whether it is something small or something big, because he has told the truth in something small, they will believe him when the big things come up. We live in a world where everyone thinks that everyone lies, where no one trusts. I want you again, I asked this question at the beginning, imagine the impact of a group of people that you could trust. And what Jesus says is, that's supposed to be my people. That's my church. Those are my people that are not going to look like the rest of the world. They will be set apart. That is the word holy. They will be set apart as a different group of people. That when everybody else is lying, we will still speak the truth, even when the truth is hard to say, even when people might come after us because we told that truth, it doesn't matter. Even when it's uncomfortable. And that group of people, if they do it well, if they live it like that, they do not need to swear on anything because every word that comes out of their mouth will be true. Let me ask you this. How many of you are in this room because someone was willing to speak truth to you? How many of you right now live free from sin and shame because someone was willing to share truth with you? Don't we want to do that for everyone else? See, the greatest thing about this story in the gospel is that Jesus died for our lying, sinful hearts. And can I tell you something? When he, Garrett, when he died for you, he knew what he was getting. Absolutely. Dad, when he died for you, he knew exactly what he was getting. Jason, he knew. Tammy, I'll come back to you again since we've already dealt with you in the service a couple times. When he died for you, he was not under the impression that you were going to be perfect. He knew you were broken. He knew you were sinful. He knew you were a wreck. When he died for you, he was not surprised at your level of lostness or brokenness or darkness. He knew exactly what he was getting when he paid the price for you. And the Christ that we follow lived completely and truthfully in his entire life, and he died on the cross shamed like a liar. He was the ultimate promise keeper, and we murdered him like the ultimate promise breaker. And in the process, he did what's called the great exchange. He took the weight of our brokenness, our sin, all those things I just said about us, he took them upon himself at the cross. He took them to the only place that they could go and be destroyed, and he walked out of a grave so that we could be set free and every bit of that gospel and every bit of that truth for every person that needs to hear it is completely hinged on truth. Do you see how big this is? Do not lie.